It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, July 3rd, 2023. I'm Mike Emanuel. Some Democrats are now calling for action against the United States Supreme Court from adding justices, so-called court packing, to forcing the high court to adopt an ethics code after the justices handed President Biden and his base a series of setbacks. I think it's less about, yes, there's a conservative, comparatively conservative uh, court. I think it's more about the angry left deciding that they're going to places that have nothing to do with the U.S. Constitution. I'm Lisa Brady. Even when crime doesn't pay, it can get a lot of attention, adding to law enforcement challenges in the Internet age. There's always been criminality and there's always been young persons who engage in acts of crime. But social media has really changed the dynamics. And I'm Jason Chaffetz. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The fallout from the end of the Supreme Court term continues. Vice President Kamala Harris expressed disappointment in the affirmative action in college admissions ruling. It is a complete misnomer to suggest this is about colorblind, when in fact it is about being blind to history, being blind to data, being blind to empirical evidence about disparities. Another setback for President Biden was the court's decision to block his student loan forgiveness plan. I believe the court's decision to strike down my student debt relief program as a mistake was wrong. I'm not going to stop fighting to deliver borrowers what they need, particularly those at the bottom end of the economic scale. Meanwhile, Republicans like Oklahoma Senator Mark Wayne Mullen insist the high court is correct. Student loans were never designed to be forgiven. It was actually your responsibility and it still is your responsibility 87 percent of the american people doesn't have student loans so why should 87 percent be paying for the 13 percent at the same time president biden is also being dogged by questions about his son hunter and his family's business dealings president biden how involved were you in your son's chinese shakedown text message were you sitting there were you involved were you? No. And House Republicans investigating Biden family business dealings are now receiving cooperation from whistleblowers. A lot of the whistleblowers have said the same thing. When I said, how do you justify this? How does the FBI justify this? How does the DOJ justify this? And they said, because they believe in their heart the alternative is worse. They hate Donald Trump. Joe Biden, in their mind, was a better deal than, than Donald Trump. And they have gone in. As lawmakers continue digging into money received by the Biden family over the years, there's still plenty of reaction pouring in about the major rulings coming from the Supreme Court. Well, I think the return to the center by the court uh, was pretty remarkable. Congressman Darrell Issa is a California Republican and member of the House Judiciary Committee. The obvious that appropriations is done by Congress, not by the president, mm-hmm. um, I think is going to be interesting. But the affirmative action statement, you know, the nation now is exactly where California has been for 20 years. California Civil Rights Initiative, Prop 209, years ago, overwhelmingly affirmed that you cannot use these preferences and quotas, uh, whether it's uh, 
African-Americans or Native Americans or any other group in college admissions. And that's been reaffirmed in California. So in a strange way, the court moved America to where liberal California has been for two decades. Some of your colleagues on the left are are pretty shocked by the Supreme Court. Um, is the truth here that Republicans' emphasis on the priority of the Supreme Court and getting conservatives onto the Supreme Court turned out to be a winning strategy? Well, it does seem like the six to three vote again and again is going to become part of the norm. But I would actually say it's the angry left. And a good example would be uh, when the, the president tried to spend $400 billion that was not appropriated for that purpose. Uh, and the court said, no, go to Congress. They have the power constitutionally. Three justices chose not to side with what should have been a 9-0 decision. So I, I think it's less about, yes, there's a conservative, comparatively conservative uh, court. I think it's more about the angry left deciding that they're going to places that have nothing to do with the U.S. Constitution. Shifting gears to the Hunter Biden case, recent developments have taken it to new heights after an IRS whistleblower said President Biden was aware of his son's business dealings with China. This comes after the president said he knew nothing of Hunter's business involvement. Your thought on this information coming to light? Well, I think what's remarkable is the small but measurable shift in the administration's position. They went from we had no communications to I wasn't in business with my son. And I think mm -hmm. we're going to see more of that shifting sand where uh, they're trying to say, of course, I spend time with my son. Of course, father's sons would certainly talk about what son is doing in business uh, uh, and making millions and not paying his taxes. Uh, that obviously happened. And now we're beginning to see the proof that not only did it happen, but that this administration provided an ability to cover up for that action. As you know, there are allegations that U.S. Attorney David Weiss's investigation into Hunter Biden has been influenced by politics. Uh, your colleague, House Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan, requested documents from Weiss that would reveal the inner workings of the investigation. Weiss has refused to supply them as they deal with a, quote, criminal investigation now being prosecuted, uh, but is still maintaining his innocence. Do you believe we'll ever see those documents and should Weiss continue being investigated? Well, I certainly think we will in time see these documents. We have good precedent uh, done by both parties that Congress has the ability to get documents. Will we see them in, in any kind of real time? Of course not. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the things that happened after close of business on Friday it was that uh, U.S. Attorney Weiss sent a, a letter that created more questions than it answered in, in how he said no. Uh, well, saying he had authority well, not acting like a special prosecutor, you know, when you have the unlimited authority, you don't say, as he said in the letter, well, I could have uh, called on other U.S. attorneys and seen if they would do something. And then I could have asked for more authority. It's very mm -hmm. clear he's trying to send us a message uh, that he was hamstrung, but he w wants to do it in a, uh, a way that doesn't uh, push back toward the administration that he still works for and answers to. There have been questions about whether he's lying or whether Attorney General Merrick Garland's been lying about whether he has, you know, unilateral control or whether he's being hamstrung by the home office. Uh, your thoughts on some calls from some of your colleagues to start impeachment proceedings against the attorney general? Well, I'm certainly one who uses that word very sparingly. I, I don't think impeachment on someone who serves at the pleasure of the president should be your first 
question. Your one question should be, did he lie? It appears as though he certainly deceived uh, Congress and continues to do so. Uh, that means that there should be calls for the president to not have the confidence in somebody that would lie, even if it's on his behalf. Uh, I think we, the answerability has to go to the president. The president is using the attorney general to shield. If we were to impeach him, I have little doubt, but that uh, he, his replacement would do exactly the same thing. Uh, and this is one of the reasons the American people are losing confidence in government. They want mm -hmm. to see government that holds people accountable. And this one is not holding anyone accountable on the left. Hunter Biden accepted a plea deal. A lot of folks are calling it a sweetheart deal, but this was before the IRS whistleblowers came forward, revealing new information that could greatly alter this case. Do you believe the Hunter plea deal should be frozen until we get to the bottom of the IRS whistleblowers' claims? You know, Mike, a real plea deal is when you plead to something that could put you in jail, that's going to make you a criminal uh, what Hunter Biden did was he he got he got a deal that uh, have two misdemeanors, no jail time, uh, and he's agreed to pay less money than he originally owed. So sweetheart is an understatement. And absolutely, I believe that these things should be set aside until the investigation is legitimately made uh, public and we can decide for ourselves whether or not uh, two minor misdemeanors are appropriate for someone who knowingly withheld and didn't disclose millions of dollars of income who owed mi um, over a million dollars and in fact is being asked to pay a small amount of that looking ahead we expect fbi director christopher ray to testify before the house judiciary committee uh next week to respond to claims the fbi has been politically weaponized against political opponents of the president as well as some parents and also churches. What are you expecting or hoping to learn from this hearing? You know, I expect the FBI director to do what he always does. He's going to talk about how shocked he is that the men and women who are so dedicated, who uh, give their lives, uh, you know, would be doubted. Uh, but the fact is the doubt is not on the rank and file uh, at the bottom. It's at the top, and our questions will be very probing about people at headquarters FBI, people at F headquarters DOJ, and how they have weaponized, clearly weaponized government against uh, their political enemies, which just happen to be Jim Jordan and the rest of us at the uh, uh, one side of the dais. New Fox polls have recently come out about Americans' feelings toward our country. In these polls, 43% of Americans believe the best days are ahead of us, while 48% believe they're behind us. And 44% of respondents reported being proud of the country, while 53% said they were not. What do you think the main factors are that have led to this drop in pride and optimism in the U.S.? And what do you believe can be done to boost Americans' faith in the country? Well, we've been here before in the days of Jimmy Carter, the melees, the belief that we were going to have to wear sweaters and live in the cold and that we somehow were not going to lead the world to a better place. Uh, but that was quickly reversed by the Reagan era. Uh, and I believe it can be done again. We do need a president who I hate overusing the term, but is a uniter, not a divider, somebody who can bring together people to believe in their country, even if they disagree with the uh, views, perhaps, of the person sitting next to them. Uh, that can be done. We're looking uh, for this election for that. Uh, it may not come right away, but I know it will come. I know that America's best days are ahead of it. 
We simply have to do what in government, uh, what it, we do in the private sector, which is if things aren't selling, you know what? Reinvent, create, innovate. Uh, that's something that government doesn't do well, but th- we did it during the Reagan era and we can do it again. Speaking of this race for the White House, there's quite a range of candidates running. It feels like polling is kind of stuck with former President Trump having a huge lead. Do you think there will be an opportunity for some movement of the polls or for those who may not be sold on another Trump term? um, Does Governor DeSantis, for example, need the other Republicans kind of to drop out to make it a two person race? Ron and I work together in the House and I think the world of them. Uh, but he cannot outdo Trump. In other words, if somebody wants Trump, they might as well take the real thing and not a carbon copy. So one of the challenges is, will somebody potentially emerge? Absolutely. But somebody's going to have to be more than just Trump light. They're going to have to be uh, somebody who has a real vision for our party and our country that takes what Trump did and goes beyond it. So far, none of these candidates have emerged that way. And it's the reason that former President Trump Uh, continues to lead is he is the real thing. Love him. Don't love him. He's the real thing. Congressman Daryl Issa, the great state of California. Have a wonderful Independence Day. I'm grateful for your time. Thank you, Michael, and happy birthday to all Americans. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. This is Jason Chaffetz with your Fox News commentary coming up. America's Crime Crisis. All this week on the Fox News Rundown, we'll take a look at crime in America, examining the impacts it's having on daily life, the most effective ways to keep communities safe, and what's behind some of the trends, like what started in Milwaukee with the Kia boys and spread across the nation, leading to soaring rates of stolen vehicles, especially Kias and Hyundais. You actually steal a Kia. Is it an easy process? Hell yeah. Could you show us how it looks to steal a car? I can show you inside your car. As you can hear in that Tommy G TikTok video, self-proclaimed thieves only too happy to pass along their methods. A TikTok spokesperson says it's not a TikTok trend, that the platform doesn't allow content promoting theft, and that it's removed if found. The thieves have been so successful largely due to anti-theft technology those car companies did not include in their vehicles for about a decade. A security loophole that led to a software fix and more recently a settlement in a class action lawsuit. Retailers have been dealing with their own spate of crime, losing about $100 billion from it last year. Flash mobs and smashing grabs also making it hard to stay in business. You've seen the videos and impact on social media. We've done studies looking at this, finding that not only is this increasing, but the groups that are engaging in this are becoming more violent and more brazen in their tactics. Christian Beckner, the National Retail Federation's VP of Technology and Cybersecurity, says sharing information between law enforcement agencies helps, including between states, to connect crimes. You can build cases against them that this isn't isolated shoplifting. This is complex organized retail crime. Punishment, or at least the prospect of it, doesn't appear to be deterring juvenile offenders. Sergeant Darren Moss with the Pierce County Sheriff's Office in Washington State tells Fox 13 in Seattle. 15, 16, 17 years old, we're seeing shootings and armed robberies and they're in stolen cars 90% of the times in those incidents. When they get caught, they're charged as adults and they go to big boy jail. 
and they go to prison. And that's not going to help these kids either. So is this trend here to stay or is there a way for law enforcement and society to get ahead of it? There's always been criminality and there's always been young persons who engage in acts of crime. Former FBI Special Agent John Ianarelli, better known now as consultant and author FBI John. But social media has really changed the dynamics. Now you can round up a large group of interested parties who previously would have never been in contact with one another. And that's leading to a lot of what we're seeing in these various crimes. And obviously, there's a wide range of crimes that we're talking about. Um, They're not always deadly, but they can be. But even something like the flash mobs, the retail theft, it's scary, you know, for the general public. You don't know when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen. Is the fear factor part of what's driving it as well? Is that what they're after? I think there's some element of creating fear and intimidation and being able to take control of what otherwise is a normal setting. But it also can be deadly. Think of people that can be injured in the stampede, people fleeing the scene of a crime, and we've had vehicle accidents, et cetera, that persons have been killed. So just because they're stealing items doesn't mean it can't be tragic consequences. What has law enforcement's response to this been so far? Are there new methods being used to counter this trend? So law enforcement is trying to stay on top of this, but you have to bear in mind there is a lot of other issues that law enforcement is dealing with as well. There's a certain amount of social media monitoring to see if any of these things are being planned and upping resources to counter it. But again, when you have large groups spring up to commit acts like this, you're limited as to what can be done in the moment. Sometimes it's about the investigation afterwards to try to arrest people and bring them to justice. Is it tipping more toward prevention of these or is it really still focused on the investigations, you know, post-crime? Is it do you see that that balance shifting? The balance is shifting slightly. But part of the problem is until something actually occurs, generally there's no crime. If you have a person who wants to incite the commission of a crime, you may be able to target that individual, but everybody else hasn't committed any sort of offense until the act occurs. So law enforcement essentially is hamstrung. They can look at what's happening, be prepared to intervene, but the act is still gonna happen, people are still gonna be scared, and there's gonna be victims. We've seen this recent pivot, fairly recent anyway, where some retailers are, you know, taking more of matters into their own hands, locking up more of their products, et cetera. Not only the stores losing money, but maybe, as you say, more activity shifting online than the brick and mortar, you know, can't stay in business. Is, is it a societal change that we need then? What are we talking about to really make progress on this aspect of crime? We have definitely seen a societal shift in the last few years where policing is not considered as important. We've heard the cries for defunding the police, et cetera. And crime is on the rise because law enforcement can't always intervene based on what politician decisions are. The answer here is really quite simple. We need to go back to the basics. We're a country of rules and law and order, and that needs to be embraced. It should not be the merchant's job to protect themselves alone. It should be societies cooperating 
and relying on government in the form of law enforcement and those who lead us to support the actions of arresting criminals and holding them accountable. Do you think that we're putting too much emphasis or too much blame on younger generations? Or is it a case of, you know, that's what the statistics bear out so far with these sort of social media driven crime trends? Statistics show what they show. And the reality is you're not getting middle-aged people rushing in the stores and grabbing items. You're also looking at the generation that is predominantly on social media. But I will tell you, it is going to change as this generation grows up with social media. Someday there'll be older persons still using social media while a new cadre of younger persons will come on board. So crime will shift more will happen via social media and online as well. Law enforcement has to respond to that and be prepared, whether it's being proactive in predicting or responding to when the event occurs. But let's not lose sight of the fact the vast majority of young people are good people. You're talking about a small group in the entire percentage. What about more steps in school, I know that I know that at some schools, um, particularly middle and high schools, maybe some elementary schools as well, they they do make more of an emphasis now on hey, if you do X, Y, and Z when you're on social media, that can actually be considered a crime, depending on what you're even sending to a friend if you're you know both underage, for instance. Does there need to be more of that? Do you think more law enforcement outreach in schools can help? There definitely needs to be more education about consequences. I have frequently gone out into communities and talked about some of the problems online, whether it be bullying or sex trafficking and things of that nature. Many persons growing up with social media don't know what the guardrails are in the boundaries of how they can get themselves in trouble by what they say, pictures they send. Not only law enforcement, education, but at the end of the day, it's about parents too, that they need to become aware of what's going on they, parents need to know what their kids are doing online as well. An optimistic perspective. Uh, FBI John, former FBI Special Agent John Iannarelli, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lisa, and thanks for having me. There's a name for this, the kind of crime the criminal wants people to know about, and it's been around a lot longer than social media. Performance crime. Performance crime is basically crimes created and distributed with an audience in mind. Raymond Surrett is a professor of criminal justice at the University of Central Florida. Oftentimes, people not even aware that anything besides being victimized is going on. And there's been um, a recent example in the uh, past few years has been something called happy slapping, where somebody goes um, along the street and walks up to a complete stranger and hits them. And, um, you know, the stranger is caught totally unaware and, um, you know, without any prior knowledge that they're about to be assaulted. Um, sort of a unique additional step to record your crime and then post it for other people to sort of view and comment on and share. It's been around for a long time, but it seems to be more dominated recently by teenagers. And I've sort of anecdotally run across evidence that there's not a lot of consideration of what the consequences of um, posting a crime are going to be. They seem to have psychologically the mindset that I'm going to post this for a limited audience of my, you know, my friends or my classmates or other people in my juvenile gang or something like that. And not really um, being 
aware that these performance crimes provide all the evidence that law enforcement needs to convict people. Do you think that especially young people taking part in something like the Kia Challenge would be criminals anyway if there wasn't a viral or social element to it? Yeah, the, the Kia Challenge is, um, is interesting because teenagers that are going on and just getting the instructions to get, you know, um, I believe it's a, they simply need a USB cable, if I remember that correctly. Mm-hmm, correct. And they use that to steal a Kia. Well, if they don't record it and distribute that, then again, that's simply using the media for crime instructions. And it's a straightforward copycat crime. Some subset of that group, however, will, I've learned, um, record the the whole event and then post that in some sort of social media. Um, they're not worried about the consequences of, of car theft. Um, they're looking for some sort of um, validation and, and attention. But you're dealing with, you know, from 12 to 20. It's a, it's a tough age range in terms of influencing people's behaviors. I guess collectively, whatever society can do to sort of take the oxygen away from these things might be helpful just from the standpoint of there may not be so much of a problem if there weren't an audience for these things. Yeah, what the media can do, in a nutshell, you don't want to help with the distribution and replaying the videos and um, the performances, but you do want to emphasize and cover the um, negative consequences, um, injuries, arrests, and so on. And that balancing between the two, I would um, advocate as probably the most effective way of uh, uh, responding to these sorts of things. Ray Surrett, professor of criminal justice at the University of Central Florida. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Hope it was helpful. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday is opening day for the Wimbledon Championships in London, the third Grand Slam tennis tournament of the year. Tuesday, the country celebrates its independence with fireworks, barbecues, parades, and music. Food fans will also be watching to see if a new record is reached during the iconic Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest at New York's Coney Island. A record number of Americans are also expected to be traveling over the extended 4th of July holiday weekend. Wednesday, the sentencing hearing for the El Paso Walmart mass shooter is set to begin. Earlier this year, Patrick Crucius pleaded guilty to charges stemming from the 2019 shooting that left 23 people dead. He's expected to face up to 90 life sentences. Wednesday also marks the start of a new rule in New York City, banning employers and recruiters from using AI in the hiring process unless that AI has been put through a bias audit. Friday, former President Trump returns to Council Bluffs, Iowa for another campaign event. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Rich Dennison, Fox News. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jason Chaffetz. What's on your mind? This week, I thought I would share some thoughts about 
the state treasurer, your state financial officer. It's somebody in government that you probably have no idea who they are, what they do. But what is remarkable is how much money they control. I recently published a book called The Puppeteers, The People Who Control, The People Who Control America. And if you ever wondered what your money managers are doing or why your companies are, that you love so much are suddenly doing these interesting things that you didn't think they would do, let's also understand that the reason that they're often doing these things is because the money managers, people like BlackRock and Vanguard and, and Main Street, these people are controlling trillions of dollars. But your state treasurer, who most people can't name and don't be feeling bad if you can't name yours too, but state retirement funds, those retirement funds for teachers, maybe it's a 401k investment. They're managed by these money managers and the money managers will get a money manager to manage that money and they will use what's called proxy voting. Well, we got our hands on some of the documents that are there and they have, uh, many of these state treasurers have said um, it does not matter necessarily who gets elected to Congress, who gets elected to the presidency of the United States. What really matters is your state treasurer, because they're the ones that through proxy voting can control your money in implementing their agenda, whether it's diversity, equity, or inclusion, or ESG, you know, the environmental social governance plans. You may be opposed to those. You may be in favor of those. But what you probably need to know is what they're doing with it. So rather than maximizing the return on investment, what we found is that these money managers are often seeking to maximize their political play. You know, the Democrats tried to introduce the Green New Deal. They didn't work. Wasn't going to vote for it. But they found another way. These are the puppeteers. These are the ones that actually are controlling things behind the scenes. And I hope you take that into consideration. I'm Jason Chavitz, Fox News contributor and author of the book, The Puppeteers, The People That Control, The People That Control America. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.